is something due any day. I will know right away, soon as it shows. Hello, and welcome to the 45th annual award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Remian. Welcome to the Academy. And Patrick, mm-hmm. you know, we got, got a big episode today. Yeah. We got a big one today. Uh, I think we have one movie that unequivocally, you know, Academy Academy top pick. Oh, yeah. Type film. And one movie that is uh, strange. <laughs> yeah, that's like a really polite kind. A polite way of putting it. Yeah, you're being very nice. <laughs> it's definitely, yeah, it's a film. I watched it. I'll give it that. It, it's a movie that exists. It's, boy, it, you know, in the, I think we talked a little bit about it last week. There's a beautiful passage in the book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, where Hunter S. Thompson recalls seeing the wave crest of the 1960s and seeing things start to go downhill. Oh God! And perhaps that is the our beloved 1980s middle brow era is cresting with I'll do anything. Yeah, oh man. <laughs> As it yeah. heads into the 1990s, in which everyone, instead of remembering what it was like in the 70s when they were struggling to get by, were all just a bunch of rich guys who had married their second wives and were trying to pay alimony to their first wives and put their kids through like. <laughs> Andover or Phillips Exeter or something like that. (laughs) This is, yeah, this is definitely the angry at wife generation. Yeah, we're heading into that, like, house on, I've, on all I know is Hollywood at this point. I have forgotten my, you know, Brooklyn or the Bronx stickball days. (laughs) Oh yeah, none of these people have seen a stick or a ball in so long. No, the boy, you know, they have not been called in for dinner. They, they need to be called in for dinner. <laughs> yeah, they need to, like, get some dirt in their hair. They need to go out and play uh, Capture the Flag or something. Although it would be very funny to see, like, the Brooks Boys and Al Pacino and everybody just, like, in Griffith Park <laughs> trying to play stickball at, like, 80 years old. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. They all have, have like, newsy caps on and shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're, all, they're all dressed like extras from The Godfather Part Two. Uh, it would be, like, yeah, the ultimate, like, most heightened version of... Hey there, my fellow kids with stupid Chevy. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> they think everybody's still a newsy. <laughs> uh. Uh, but, oh, yeah, of course. This week we are entering the 1990s in the Brooks Brooks uh, subseason with "Defending Your Life" from 1991 and "I'll Do Anything" from 1994. Um, the boys are. <laughs> I love referring to these guys as the yeah, boys. the Brooks boys. <laughs> the Brooks boys. They are uh, successful. One of them is probably as powerful as as a dude could get in the oh, yeah. creative end of Hollywood. Um, Albert Brooks. That would be James L. Brooks. Albert Brooks is probably just considered, you know, one of the handful of like truly brilliant tourist comedic performers coming yeah. off an oscar nom too for bro- for broadcast news um yeah he I, I would say that like james l brooks is at the level he's at like lord michael's level where he could probably if he wanted to have dinner with like fucking mick jagger or some shit he could yeah like, if, if like uh 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 steven tyler was in town he could take him he, they'd go to lowry's together perhaps yeah and i, I mean I, we're talking like i mean in a modern 
equivalent, you know, Lauren Michaels, certainly, but like, you know, I don't know, like Ryan Murphy or um, yeah, Ryan Shonda Murphy. Rhimes or one of these like just all powerful, you know, creative forces. You know, James yeah. O. Brooks would have the $500 million Netflix deal or something like oh, that. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like if he had like a new Simpsons esque idea or whatever, or like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised they haven't turned one of his uh, movies into like a mini series on Hulu yet. Quite frankly, yeah. I mean, I think we kind of chatted up. Maybe, maybe it was on the show. Maybe it was over text. It's hard to tell anymore. We live in the metaverse. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, as we all know. Um, yeah, my avatar is uh, interfacing with Don's right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, my avatar is of course um, Flap. From terms of endearment, <laughs> yeah, 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 you got the, yeah, you got, you know, you got the two hundred dollars to pay for that flap skin. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. and uh, we're both, you know, and of course, in the metaverse, you know, it's uh, this wonderful place, uh, you know, where your imagination can run, run wild. So we're in a conference room. That's we're in a, we're in a conference room, and you know, we're pitching some ideas. Yeah, we're... maybe maybe some of them will get made. I got a great idea yeah. for a Mister Deeds remake. Uh oh, yeah. there's a twist. <laughs> nice, yeah. That's funny because yeah. I have my Adam Sandler as Mr. Deeds skin. My yeah. that's my skin is Adam Sandler. Yep, and you can see my uh, you can see my frostbitten foot. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Like, I think Terms of Endearment, and I think Broadcast News will be ripe. Oh yeah. To uh, Terms of Endearment, maybe a longer mini series, but I mean, Broadcast News, you could turn into a straight up TV show. Yeah, could... which yeah, I mean, I guess kind of exists with like the a ver- uh, modern variation with like the morning show or yeah, um, or even jeff newsroom yeah old jeff know. newsroom I, jen watches the morning show and fills me in on what's been going on in the morning show i'm like geez this show sounds exhausting uh, that's <laughs> the one where steve carell plays like a matt lauer right yeah oh. and it's just it is um i mean we're talking danny collins level sounding hat on hat drama uh. just non-stop drama and sometimes it's just I don't know. It's maybe, maybe we're old souls. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't need like the barrage of just like, and they also have leukemia. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my daughter has HDHD. It's just as bad. And uh, we might bring all of that up again later and I'll do anything because those might be plot points in that film as well. Um, uh. But yeah, I, mean, I think like, you know, both these guys you know get back to get back to our line of reasoning here um super they're at their like successful peaks in hollywood and it's interesting to see what they kind of do when they kind of have everything at their disposal i think because we're seeing that in this week in both films actually in when they have because out this is where this is more than likely um albert brooks's most ambitious film Mm-hmm. we'll be talking about this week and it's a wildly big swing for james l brooks as well um but we'll start with um start with albert a little bit early he's always been a couple years couple, he's working a couple years ahead of james l brooks yeah. each time out and we're talking of course about 1991's defending your life his follow-up to lost in america which of course came out in 1985 so albert bit of a uh bit of a bit of a break mm. you know as he kind of um you know between this if he was of course in broadcast news but he's definitely um took took some time to marinate 
on this one. And this is his first solo writing film too. Monica Johnson not involved Mm -hmm. in the writing of this film. So this one's written and directed by Albert Brooks, starring Albert Brooks, Meryl Streep, Academy Academy favorite, as we all know, (laughs) Rip Torn, Lee Grant, Buck Henry, Uh, kind of in the main group, mm -hmm. um, released March 22nd, 1991 through Warner Brothers Pictures, uh, made 16.4 million at the box office, but was not considered a um, box office success. Um, and I have a feeling this movie is by a wide margin Albert Brooks's most expensive mm. film. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot going on in this one. There's a lot, you know, he has a great entire universe. It's very um, high concept. It's incredibly high concept. It has yeah. a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, though. Um, you know, just a incredibly well-received movie. And, you know, Albert Brooks said has said in a bunch of interviews, he says it on the Criterion Blu-ray as well, that... You know, while people will come up to him and say, you know, I love modern romance. I love Lost in America. He, nine times out of ten, people want to talk about this movie. And wow. this is the one that has affected a lot of people. And I'll say this. Um, as funny and brilliant as his early comedies are, uh, they don't bring me to, like, warm-hearted tears like this movie does. <laughs> yeah, this is such a feel-good... Uh, and one of those rare feel-good movies where... Uh, when he does like kind of achieve when it crescendos at the very end and he sort of like overcomes his uh it doesn't feel forced or treacly no not at all it's earned completely earned you're you're happy for him you're like (laughs) yes yes you're so thrilled for him because it's like you're finally and it's funny because it's like this is it's interesting watching this after the previous three movies because you realize that Albert Brooks sort of has this like these sort of recurring tropes in his characters. And this does kind of feel like the movie where it's like you're getting to see on like almost like on a metatextual level, you're seeing like the Albert Brooks like persona grow. Like there's yeah. hope for this type of individual. Cause if you look at the previous films, like well, he's monstrous. No yeah, he's a monstrous, monstrous no evil. Yeah. yeah, damned. Like damned and, and doomed. And so like it's nice to see that okay, you can if you're this type of guy, you can climb out of a hole. <laughs> well it's it's interesting. I wonder if there's like this element of like, you know, he's reaching, I think he's around if he isn't, he's around 40 or so mm-hmm. years old yeah. when he made this one. I think James L. Brooks is, he's a, James L. Brooks is a few years older, but I'd say he's, you know, 40, somewhere mm-hmm. between 40 and 50 when he made I'll Do Anything. And these are also, I think, kind of midlife, what am I doing movies. And Albert Brooks, I think, turned almost to this like existential, metaphysical, spiritual mm-hmm kind of realm and James L. Brooks seems to turn just to like the world he knows. Yes. And that is a, yeah, that's a good point. And it's really interesting that Albert Brooks is like, and I have no idea where Albert Brooks stands and kind of his religious practices or spiritual mm-hmm. practices or anything like that. My guess is that probably some combination of Judaism and Eastern philosophies is yeah. kind of what comes up and seems to me from this film at least. Um <laughs> But he, um, he, he, what I wanted out of this movie so much was like, clearly this is a thinker, and I'm calling him a thinker, not just a comedian here, who has so much to say and so much, so many thoughts on things. And it seems like because his movies were not financially successful, he wasn't allowed to like 
you know, you almost want to give him like a Christopher Nolan budget and see what he does with it. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh know. man, like a two hundred million dollars. Go to town, sir. Like yeah. yeah, and like really explore like what is pop like what is in you because like i'm reading his book right now 2030 which is like a sci-fi book as well mm-hmm. and you can cl- it's clear he's like this is not like some guy who's like a woody allen or noah Baumbach urban plight right of upper class comedian kind of and you know i mean i'm you know oh, yeah. there's nothing wrong with those kind of stories but this is I, it's very very clear albert brooks has a lot more mm-hmm. on his mind and has a much bigger scope yeah happening and um he only got one shot at it but he hit a home run with this movie in terms of going to these sites you know we we did talk about it before in the meryl streep season but we're going to talk about it from a distinctly brooksian point of view oh yes this time around um so as you may or may not remember uh this is about albert brooks plays uh advertising executive is there anyone better at like John Hamm played an advertising executive at like the highest, most like handsome jaunty level on Mad Men. Yeah. But in terms of what you actually think an ad man is like, especially an 80s or 90s ad man, is anyone better than Albert Brooks at doing that? No, and I think what's like incredible about this is like this is like the type of character that uh on any with with almost any other actor or director. Like this character would suck, and you would be asked to like, kind of like, because uh, like, it's an ad exec. Like, who cares about what an ad exec? You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of like this. It's it's a kind of a a, a a rarefied life, and the fact that uh he's able to kind of make him fallible and weird and interesting initially. Uh, do, you think, do you think um one of the like key rules like writing movies and we just uh, you know peek behind the podcast curtain patrick and i went and saw the china syndrome last night which kind of oh, blew our minds God, but, yeah so good. like we were talking about how good that was and how people like in movies it doesn't seem like people like real like it's all like becoming a hero or like it's like this level of like human like mm-hmm. i learned just to be slightly better like mm. or like i stepped like in this one albert brooks has to go from being selfish to kind of like learning what it means to open it like being brave and being like not afraid mm. it's a very simple thing but it's like it's so much more human than just simply saving the world even though like in china syndrome jack lemon kind of has to save california by changing but he does it and it's hard to change it isn't just like a destiny kind of thing and like the, mm. it's not a hero's journey it's like i don't know if that makes sense what i'm trying to say it's, no, it's like, like a gradual progression it's this gradual progression and it's not it's it's very individual it's not like um archetypey yeah it's it, it's it's individualized to this character and what this character needs like you know at toward the end of jane uh china syndrome when jane fonda has to go and like deliver hard news mm. you know, she has to like suck it up and like it's such like a like lump in your throat moment because you know what this means. It's not like it, and it's 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 just it's an interesting thing. Like you know, you kind of they're hitting the same beats as like you know the Marvel movies do or the DC movies do, but they're doing it in kind of a more human way. 
mm-hmm. that it doesn't feel like it's still surprising. It still kind of like grabs you and you still like are hopeful that they because maybe it's because they're fighting it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Like they're like making missteps or it's harder yeah. in a way to become this fully realized or not even fully realized person, but fully realized like part of your personality for most of these people. It's just, it's just very interesting to me. And I think they do it so well in this one because you're right. Like at the start of this movie, you know, he's about to turn 40. He buys a BMW. He's <laughs> rocking out, rocking yeah. out to Bab Streisand as he's driving around. <laughs> oh, I love it. And he gets um, a night, like much, oh, much like our friend, uh, meet Joe Black gets annihilated in traffic <laughs> oh man yeah he gets yeah he definitely gets me joe black a bit yeah, uh, oh, but it, oh. yeah. wouldn't it be funny if instead of rip torn it was joe black <laughs> <laughs> or like if <laughs> oh that's so disappointing <laughs> or if, if meet joe black was just like happening concurrently like it happened in the defending your life universe like on oh. earth like he inhabits instead of inhabiting brad pitt he inhabits yeah. Albert Brooks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, oh, it would be so much, so would, much worse. It would be so enjoyable. I would like some peanut butter. Yeah, I know. Mm. <laughs> well, oh, what a weird movie that is. But um, so one of the things I learned on the on the DVD or the Blu-ray was that uh, the executives at Warner Brothers wanted Albert Brooks just to jump straight to Afterlife and not have really? that like ten minute prologue. He's like, no, we kind of need to know who this guy is mm-hmm. like it might not like be like all the fun that judgment city provides but we need to know where daniel is at mm-hmm. before he goes to judgment city so we know where he has to like build from in a way and so we know all of his moves and we know what kind of guy he is we know he's albert brooks basically so it's like you know <laughs> when he goes there he's going to react interesting to things so he ends up you know he dies and he goes to judgment city which is this really amazing invention on Brooks's part of a complete, a complete, a completely well-designed and built-out afterlife. Yeah. And you know, another thing that was mentioned was that he said, like, and this is something I think that when science fiction really, really works, this is like the first priority is like the rules. And and the guy interviewing Brooks is like, "Did you do that?" He goes, "Oh, I had." you know, the whiteboards out and I had all the rules written down for how everything worked. And, you know, cause you have to like, I mean, people like laugh at like inception, the first 45 minutes is literally setting the rules mm. of inception because it's so complicated, but then that's what makes the last hour and a half of inception. So satisfying because it's like, I know what's going on. I know yeah. what the, the, the limitations and I know it's, you know, like what needs to be accomplished to make it through. And the same thing goes with defending your life. Like, uh, yeah, and I think part of that, too, is that everything feels all the choices feel justified. Like, yeah, I um, I watched a show recently, Miracle Workers. Have you ever seen that with uh, Daniel mm. Radcliffe? It's like um, it's like an anthology show, but like every season is like its own like uh contained story with the same cast but the first season is like what if heaven was like the office that's basically what it is Mm. and it just it feels that show in that show everything feels so random and um like it's just like an office because whatever like that's just what it is and you never have that there's no feeling of uh 
it doesn't feel like any choice like they're not speaking like they justify why everyone speaks english they justify why uh the afterlife looks like anaheim like it's pretty impressive it's it's there's no everything makes sense yes in a movie that's this fantastical that's really impressive mm-hmm. it's just and it, and it makes you feel safe like and it makes you it puts you directly in albert brooks's shoes as he navigates because he's he's the only flawed person we meet in the afterlife basically because mm. everyone else is like either heightened or meryl streep <laughs> you know and so we're in his shoes as he's kind of navigating and we get to feel like oh man you know i want to like i want to know what that slop rip torn's eating tastes yeah. like when i had when i'm an elevated mind <laughs> you know? yeah i want to try one of those weird worms <laughs> yeah and so it's, it, it's very very funny though because albert brooks makes it like this like both like fantastical place but also like yeah like a bland bureaucratic anaheim mm-hmm. also and he like you know and so it's inspired by like the trams on the universal tour <laughs> so there's all these trams and it, that's what takes everybody around but basically he has to go defend that he lived like this good life so he can move on to the, like the next realm of um, soul, I guess. Would yeah. that be, be the best way to put it? Yeah, it's like kind of implying that like, you know, Earth is, because they say uh, you only use a certain part yeah. of your brain. People three to five percent. Yeah, three to five percent. Uh, what was Rip Torn? He was like forty something, forty something. Great. He's like working on a really high level. Yeah, he's a good. He's a good. He's a good brand boy. But uh, yeah. <laughs> got them brain gams. Uh, yeah. But uh, but uh, like uh, it's sort of like uh, they try to determine based on, and it's interesting because I think it is um, on a certain level kind of inscrutable. I guess it seems like they're primarily looking for like if you've lived a brave life or a fearful life, that kind of seems to be the just completely open mm-hmm. life like that. You let everyone in your, your, you accept and you you do decent things basically because of that, you know, you selfless. You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's being like, it's almost like, it's like first you have to be like self selfless. And then beyond that, you're allowed then that allows you to become like, selfless in general i don't know yeah it's uh and so uh, what's very interesting the way you describe it too it's like we already know like that's one of the best parts of the movie is like because it's like it's called defending your life and he has to do a defense but we already know daniel did not live that way no because he is because and it goes back to what you were kind of saying of our history with albert brooks like you don't you only need a few scenes when he's alive to know it's like oh he's albert brooks so he's probably neurotic he's probably like in his yeah. head all the time constantly you know, worrying constantly worrying probably selfish because of that um but he gets a chance to defend himself through they have all these videos of moments of his life and his <laughs> defense attorney bob diamond is played by the great Rip Torn, oh, who so just good. knocks it out of the park. Should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor mm-hmm. for this movie, very, very clearly. Um, and he's the prosecuting attorney is played by Lee Grant, who's also absolutely excellent in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's, you know, both them, they live on this higher plane of existence where it's like, both like, it's kind of patronizing 
to all the people yeah. who, uh, who are defending themselves. It it's is, just like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> it is kind of funny how, like, a uh, little, how much, uh, how the lack of uh, uh, respect they kind of provide on a certain level. Although they're, they're nice, they are nice, but it is kind of like, yeah, it's like uh, uh, uncles talking to their six-year-old grand, uh, their six-year-old nephews, that level of, like, yeah. respect. <laughs> yeah, and, but I mean, at the same time, like, they you know, in a way, like a bureaucracy, almost they, they're doing their job. They're trying to do the best version of their job as possible. Although there is a very, very funny scene where Riptorn can't show up to work. <laughs> Buck Henry drops in as the def- replacement defense attorney who doesn't do anything. <laughs> it's just like a very bizarre scene. <laughs> oh, it's super unreal. Although, like, I was watching it this time and I'm like, like, did this help him? Like, was the Because uh, it is, man... Yeah. It's interesting, too, because that's, like, the one scene where, like, they also, like, kind of show all of uh, Albert Brooks's pratfalls and goofs mm, throughout oh, life. Yeah, they, just, they just have, like, a montage of all the times he's, like, fucked up. It's <laughs> like, really fun. That, that part where he's, like, on top of the car when he didn't put the brake on. Uh... It's very funny. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, I think it's like he knew, he also knew he needed some goofs in this movie. That's actually fairly on the dramatic end for a lot of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's going through it. We also, we can kind of feel like, oh boy, I think he's, um, I think he's doomed to reap. Because basically, if you don't advance to the next level, you get sent back to Earth mm-hmm. in a new form to try again. And, you know, you've been in this universe, we've lived a million past lives trying to advance the soul forward. Um, So simultaneously, though, he goes to a comedy club to kind of take, there's a comedy club in Judgment City. And he meets (laughs) Meryl Streep, who is Julia. And um, he's immediately taken with her. He... um, and I, it's interesting what Albert Brooks said was basically that his only real direction was be the Meryl Streep that everyone thinks you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so she's this effervescent like creature who's clearly going to advance to the next stage of um, yeah. uh, humanity or soul or whatever oh, yeah. it is. She, uh, yeah, she saves yeah. like her kids. Not only does she save her kids from like a burning house, she also goes back inside and gets the uh, the, the cat. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and like, yeah, and like at this point, like you know, we like Meryl Streep is Paul Atreides. She's uh, the chosen perfect. one. Yeah, she's the chosen yeah. one. She has all the she has all the memories of pr- the previous best actors of all time. You know, like whoever the first person was who played Hamlet, probably John Wilkes Booth. I don't know. <laughs> John Wilkes Shakespeare. Yeah, um, John, John Wilkes Shakespeare. But they and then, but I mean, I, I think it, honestly, there's this. So they. they at every restaurant they go to in this, they can eat as much food as possible. It's all free and nobody gains any weight. Nobody oh, feels yeah. bad. And their reactions to this, I think some of their character where Meryl Streep is like more of everything and Albert Brooks is still like, I don't know, it's a little fatty. Yeah, or like, yeah, it's a little high in uh, cholesterol, isn't it? Like, yeah. And I mean, you know, as boy, I was like, yeah, bring those shrimp. You know, bring another plate of shrimp. You know? Yeah. I celebrate the Red Lobster everything shrimp. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's uh, that's part of my religion. Yeah, yeah I know. That's, that's but... what I do. And I do. That's. I hope that's part of it in defending your life. Yeah. But so, so Albert Brooks, he slowly, um, 
he really like falls for mm-hmm. uh, Meryl Streep. And you know, what's brilliant is like every time she's talking to him as the movie progresses, they'll do these like close-ups of him listening to her, and he is just like in love with her. Like it's so like his like he's just like enchanted. Yeah. And you don't see that very often in movies like this level of just like, man, she is really neat. <laughs> kind of the way you yeah. when you do how you feel when you like when you do fall in love with somebody, it's just like, wow. There's like cool. a cool <laughs> legit know? like warmth kind of emanating from him whenever she's a he's around her. They have and I they think have great they, chemistry together. Yeah, I was gonna say they do a good job of uh I think they do a great job of like Albert Brooks being on his, being the best version of himself when she, he's around her for the most part. And it justifies why someone like Julia would want to be around someone like Albert. Like he's, yeah, like because very, he, he's surprisingly he, charming. He can be charming. He's obviously funny. He's, you know, he's, he's not bad looking, No, you know? So well, I think like, you know, works. he's, yeah, it works. They actually work as a couple. Yeah. Um, and especially like when they're at the, and it's like the way that they yeah. meet at the stand-up club. Yeah, he he heckles the st- he heckles the comic. It's funny. Yeah, politely. He's not politely like, yeah. F- yeah, yeah. He's not, yeah, he not like, have, fuck you, dumbass. He didn't, have six, <laughs> didn't have six drinks. I'm like, I can do comedy. <laughs> yeah, because that's, uh... Oh, man. Open mics. You gotta yeah. love it. Gotta love um, it. But yeah, so they kind of build it from there that it's very clear Julia's going to move on. It's very clear Daniel, despite having a great attorney in Rip Torn, um, mm-hmm. has not lived a, a perfectly selfless life. No. A perfectly open life, a fearless life. And so it kind of builds and builds and builds from there in the trial to this point where, you know, I mean, should we spoil? I guess yeah. we probably spoiled it. Uh, we spoiled quite a bit of this, but we're good. I we're think sp- we, but I think we spoiled it. You know, when we discussed. Oh it yeah, when we first, saw, yeah, <laughs> of course, when we first, hell yeah, yeah, of course. But uh, basically, Daniel is going to get sent back. Julia is going to move forward, and Rip Torn, brilliant scene, where he um, kind of gives Daniel the news, and it's really, it's, it's very, like I'm getting emotional almost thinking about it. It's, it's very painful to see like the look on daniel's face when he knows he lost and even rift torn like kind of being a shoulder for him mm-hmm. in a way and being sympathetic to him and you know rift torn's just like you just open your heart and you'll make it next time around but we got to send you back and so they're getting on these trams at the end of it albert brooks is getting on his tram he looks out the window and he sees meryl streep in her tram across the way going to a different place and he does it. He finally does something fearless. And he mm. breaks out and he races across the tarmac to try and break into her train and go with her. And Rip Torn's watching it. Lee Grant is watching it. The judges are watching it. And they're like, hey, we got to give it to this guy. Yeah. He, he, he did learn. So they open the doors for him and he's able to move on to the next existence with Meryl Streep. It's the music swells. It's not. Oh, we got to give big credit to Michael Gore's score for the uh-huh. film, which, you know, sometimes movie scores can be too much. Sometimes it can't be memorable. This just like mm. feels this is what the movie feels like. Yes. It just it just gives you it's the same thing with the broadcast. He did the and this is the same guy who actually did the broadcast news and the uh, terms of endearment scores and it kind of that same jaunty and but it's also kind of like 
it it sounds how a dramedy should sound yeah. where it's both like emotional but also fun and it's just a beautiful score and when he's racing across the tarmac trying to catch up with that i mean i can't th- i can think of very few movies where i like i've seen it now three or four times well i'm just like i really really hope he gets on that tram <laughs> like <laughs> if you ever, i mean i can't think of even a lot of movies we've covered that reach that emotional place no i mean yeah and it's it's really tough to justify an ending like this too I think because I feel like it'd be so easy for this to come off as a cop out and something that perhaps Albert Brooks doesn't deserve but the fact that I think it's like the fact that he really is kind of put through the rigmarole in his like um, his uh, defense in his defense process like you really do see like uh when, when, like he, when he sees the things have not gone well in his life and when he has done things that aren't good mm-hmm. and the look on his face when they spin the chair around for him to face the judges and the face oh, of the attorneys, he, you could see it sinking in like, oh, I didn't. I yeah. didn't do it. I did not live <laughs> yeah. great. Maybe my life isn't worth defending. Well, and then like, uh, but then like the, the cherry on top that I think really works for me is the that moment where he's in the 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 nicer and so it's by the way it's really funny julia Mer- merrill's there's like a hierarchy among brains and if you're like a nicer brain you get a nicer hotel oh, yeah. in the uh which is a fun yeah fun the rules are all funny they're all great it's a great rule but uh uh she's like seeing julia merrill streep and merrill's like you know let's uh let's you know uh go up to lovers. my room. let's go to my yeah. room let's have a good time and like Albert Brooks, he's too afraid. He can't do it. And he like stifles himself because he, he's like, I don't want to like have this. I think that's like the thing. Like the lesson is like he he he's like, I wouldn't, I'd rather like not have this great moment and then like have to like be cosmically missing out on it in perpetuity. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it comes at the perfect point in the movie. Yeah. Too. Like, because Lee Grant introduces it as evidence. After yeah. we oh, see it happen yeah. later on, she introduces it as evidence of like, has he learned anything? And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but there are certain moments in your life. I think when you watch this movie and this might be why this movie has such an effect. I can th- I can name three or four moments in my life where it was like, oh, you know, that probably would have led to something very neat. Yeah. But it also probably could have ended in disappointment or heartbreak or shame or embarrassment or something like that. And um, I avoided it. I'm sure you oh, have 100%. Felt similar, yeah. similar things. And so I think that that's why it's this movie feels like, it, yes, it's Albert Brooks and he's a very distinct guy. But there is like you bring it into yourself and you kind of almost subconsciously can identify with him because all those memories are churning mm-hmm. in you. And that's what I think <laughs> makes you want to like say to yourself, yeah, I could be the guy who jumps off the tram and tries to go to a different portion of the next life, the yeah. metaphysical next life because yeah. I'm in love with Meryl Streep. <laughs> you know, and, and it all makes sense. And, you know, you identify with him completely. And he doesn't, um, 
you know, we've talked a lot about it with the other Albert Brooks movies. He never gives himself a break. No. Like, and up and maybe until the end of this movie, like you kind of alluded to. But I think it's earned. Yeah. It doesn't bother me at all. And that's well, that's why it makes it all the sweeter is that, yeah, you have seen these. You could like interpret those previous like three movies of him being kind of hard on himself. Like, yeah, yeah see, kind of like seeing the aspects of himself that he like, uh, uh, or the aspects of like society in general, even perhaps that he is, uh, finds distasteful. Well, he's, I think, them. I think he's a, um, benefactor and a willful participant in the upper middle class white yuppie lifestyle. Yeah. But he uh, also sees that it's complete bullshit. Yes. And he's struggling with that in like all of these movies. Mm-hmm. Is this kind of like, yes, like I don't want to leave my house in Beverly Hills at all. Mm-hmm. Which if you came to him right now, I'm sure he'd say that almost exactly. Like, no, yeah. I don't. Like, I don't want to give this up in the slightest. No, but yeah. he, um, at the same time, he's a deep enough thinker to recognize like you know there are there's a lot of negativity mm-hmm. to and negative aspects to this world that i also inhabit so i'm gonna take a bite literally out of myself i mean in real life his character is albert brooks he doesn't even give him a name he's yeah. in place himself you know and he's a phony hollywood actor <laughs> you know in that movie <laughs> you know i think he yeah he's very self-aware even uh-huh. though he like you know, and I think that goes back to this movie. It's like he is also fallible mm-hmm. in that, you know, if he, if he he probably even thought to himself, if I have to go defend my life, I might be in big trouble. Right. You know, an interesting thing, I think we talked a little bit about it. Um, his father died one of, like, the all-time showbiz deaths. Oh, really? Um, so his father was a showbiz, like a, a Friars Club kind of comedian. Oh, that's interesting. And that's funny. He... What was his, his, his dad was uh, Harry Einstein. He was a radio comedian. He was with Eddie Cantor, you know, all this kind of stuff. And basically um, they were doing, uh, when Albert Brooks was like 10 years old, mm. his dad was doing a Friars Club roast. He killed the audience. He sat down on the dais and dropped dead of a heart attack right there. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. And he's like, <laughs> as much as you can kind of like, say one thing or the other he's like that clearly had an effect on how i think about the universe and like you know yeah that would that's that's like especially like if it's like you had he's like even even though you're young even though you know all this it's like yeah if that's where your dad goes out that's a lot yeah especially because it's like he went out after like doing something pretty like and he killed it right he did like, yeah this really supposedly, great, it was supposedly a, yeah. yeah and i mean obviously he went out the way any comedian would probably want to go out in a weird way but yeah. at the same time when you're his young son that's oh that sucks a yeah. profound effect and yeah it's, it's hard <laughs> and i think it's and i think that also goes back to how he's able to think about this because i'm sure death has been real and on his mind mm-hmm. for his entire life because of that moment you know it's impossible not for it not to be and so he's trying to reconcile like what is the afterlife what is, what is a good life you know all these kind of things i mean i just like you know, we talked about it but endlessly impressed with this guy 
you know, I think he's just there. He's so much more than just making movies with spoofs and goofs. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear. And although interesting thing, he also mentioned on that Blu-ray um, interview was that he legitimately did consider when he was going through the endings, the final shot of just a cow in a pasture. Uh, and that's where Daniel ends up. Oh, and man. he was like, I just couldn't do it. I had to get like, that's, you know, that's, that is like, that is like too, that's dark. <sighs> I, I think that would leave a bitter taste. Like some movies are, um, he, yeah, he didn't do it. It was smart yeah, not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah, it's fine to leave a bitter taste in your mouth sometimes. Like I love like modern romance, like shouldn't end any other way. Like modern romance, if it ended yeah. with like Albert Brooks getting reformed or something, that would suck and it would not ring true. I was fully ready last night on China Syndrome for full scale nuclear meltdown. Same. I was fully ready. Fully. hundred percent. The movie had set it up that we would be like, "Oh, that's bleak," but I can live with it. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? that, that, that's the thing too. Is that movie it could work, but it also it works. It's more it satis. It's even more satisfying the way yeah. we, we won't spoil it, but it's more satisfying how where things. Yeah, it's consistently. Yeah, but it's also so surprising. Um, You know, I think that's what you want is like, you know, I'm going to think about every time I write from here on out. It's like, when is the part where Jack Lemon picks up the gun in my script? Because it's like, it's like, oh wow, what an escalation! (laughs) And uh, and and I'm going to think about. You need to think about the part two where, like, where's the part where Jack Lemon whispers, "It's vibrating," and yeah, yeah, no, that moment, yeah, like, wow, like, like, yeah, and to have like, ah, spoiler alert, but that is that is fucking heightening, yeah, to have that as his has his last words. Okay, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Do not. Don't jump ahead thirty seconds. Yeah, I'll, I maybe I'll, I'll maybe I'll, I'll uh, bleep that. I'll bleep I don't that. know. It's like there's it's it's weird. The Academy Academy. We could talk about this though. The it's weird. The Academy Academy's spoiler rules. Like yeah. for movies, we feel perfectly comfortable spoiling, oh, yeah. and what movies are like, no, you gotta like check this one out. And I I gotta say like like I mean like China Syndrome. Don't read about it. No, go in. Go naked. see it. Go yeah. in naked. Same with um. Uh, my pick, my pick of the week for new movies last night in Soho. Mm. Going blind. Yes. Just uh, check it out because it's like, boy, surprises are fun. At yeah. Movies. Like when when they're when when a movie's firing on all cylinders, like some of these are, it's fun stuff. But you know, I think this one, even if it's spoiled for you, you're still gonna have a because I think like the second you get into it, you know it's not gonna end with the cow. Yeah. You do know it's like this is a movie about growth. Redemption. Yeah. And redemption. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, and it's, 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 yeah. Sorry, you go. Oh, no. It's just, it's a lovely movie. Oh, <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's like, it's wonderful. It's lovely. And it's also, um, you know what? It, the ending feels earned because, uh, it just like the demeanor of the film is pleasant. And that's enough for you to justify or for me at least to feel like justified in the way it goes like this is like this movie is like eating like a a uh, tiramisu or something in terms of like yeah it's like sweet it's a sweet movie and it it's has sweet. like some dark notes but like you, you know what movie it reminds me of and I think it has had a similar impact on people is Groundhog Day oh man yes um, I would well, put the, those two in a, a very similar wheelhouse. 
Yeah, and it, well, it's also like it's kind of like Groundhog Day in the sense too that like it's a movie you can like this is like an one hundred percent mature adult film that you would be a hundred percent comfortable watching with like your grandpa or yeah. something. And it's yeah. also funny. Yeah, it's really funny. Yeah, but I, I mean, Albert Brooks said he he said I've gotten thousands of thousands of letters from people who have relatives who are dying or they themselves are dying, and the movie made them feel better. I guess it's because it presents some possibility that doesn't involve clouds and ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it does. It yeah. does make you feel better about like, and oh, God bless him. Good job, man. Like, yeah. It's, it's, this is a movie like, I think we mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but it's now just part of, I think mine and your personal pantheon of movies. We're just going to come back to. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm and... gonna. I, I I literally watched this movie like two weeks ago with my parents, and then I watched it with my folks in like May or June. Yeah, exactly. Well. It's a great like, and then I watched it again for this podcast, and yeah. I had just as good of a time this time than I did the previous time. Yeah, it's, love this movie. Um, these like Albert Brooks movies are just gifts. Mm-hmm. Like they're their own singular thing. I hope. I hope Criterion can get their hands on um, real life and modern romance and do nice additions on those like they've done with Lost in America and um, Defending Your Life. Because these are, I mean, you know, I think what like Criterion had always said is like, we're trying to get the best of each like type of movie. So like the best Italian art films are the best, you know, that's even how they defended putting out The Rock and Armageddon because those are the best versions of blockbusters. Right. Um, and Lost in America, Modern Romance, Defending Your Life, these are the best versions of adult comedies. Yeah. And that's the way it goes. So check it out if you haven't. I mean, we've, you know, I remember when we did this for the Meryl Streep season and it was against Death Becomes Her and it lost, but all of us, was Kevin Chu, I believe, our guest on that episode? Yes. Um, all of us agreed, like, Defending Your Life is a masterpiece. Yeah. It just isn't Meryl Streep's masterpiece. No, that's, a, that's like, a, and it, what's interesting, though, is it's a testament to Albert Brooks's skills as a writer that even though it's 100% clearly Brooks's film, Julia, uh, who could have been, like, a, just a really generic, boring, manic pixie dream girl, like, comes off as a fully dimensional, three-dimensional, interesting character. like Also, also as someone worth changing your life and being y- brave for. Y- exactly, yeah. And like Meryl Streep, uh, and, and I think that a lot of that too is Meryl Streep's performance because yeah. you could like, yeah. She knows what movie she's in. Mm-hmm. She knocks it out of the park. And she gives, as a, we talked about how generous of a scene partner she is in her season, um, she gives Albert Brooks so much to like be inspired by. Yeah. Well, and she's also like authentically like laughing at like everything. It's yeah. funny because like, yeah, because wasn't it? I can't remember if I saw this in like the, the special feature because I watched the special features too. And I can't remember if I read this online or saw this in special features, but like there was something about um, uh, Albert Brooks was like talking to like Meryl Streep and, you know, I think he was like kind of nervous about his like performance. And he was kind of like, how are you laughing at like everything I do at one point? He's like, how did, and Meryl's like, I only laugh when like, it's funny. Like it only works if I like it. And so like the fact that that 
you know, her laughs are like authentic and she's doing it and it comes from a real place. It really helps like seal the yeah. deal performance Get, getting to know her through like the biographies we looked at and all through that season this seems like a movie she'd like if she yeah. wasn't in it like this yeah. seems like it's up her alley it's a yeah mature adult film that also has some laughs and something to say and it's mm-hmm. not um it's not aggressively mean or violent or you know no, or anything no, i yeah. mean well, yeah, Again, you can watch it with your folks. They'll yeah. probably like it. It's 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 wild that this movie wasn't successful. It sucks. It pisses me off. Well, I think it's just the problem is is that this is like such a difficult movie to market. Yeah. Like, how do you? Yeah. It's hard. I can imagine like because you want to almost like know less when you go into it. Yeah. Although, yeah, but then like I don't. Yeah, it's just how do you market it? Yeah, there's no like. Yeah, this isn't Die Hard. There's no like. Yeah, where's the? It's tough. It's just a tough yeah. movie to market. Which is, but then again, like terms of endearment, like that movie grossed over like what a hundred over a hundred million dollars, and the A was like the highest one of the highest grossing movies the year it came out. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. So like, it's possible. It is possible. People. And- yeah. It's interesting. Like, I was looking back at it too. 1991 was a major league year. Um, Silence of the Lambs, oh, Beauty man. and the Beast, yeah. JFK, mm-hmm. Prince of Tides, Boys in the Hood, Cape Fear, Shit. Bugsy, The Fisher King. Um, oh, that's a good movie. Barton Fink, City Slickers. Um, you know, down the line, a lot like a high watermark for kind of adult movies. Mm hmm. Um, even like to get into movies like Terminator 2 came out, The Addams Family, Backdraft, Hook, um, <laughs> a memorable year, yeah. Of you know, and Sansa Lambs that ended up you know dominating. And I'm just looking at it here, like, I think if this had been expanded to the 10 best picture nominees mm-hmm. that we have now, um, I don't see why Defending Your Life would not have been nominated for best picture. Oh I yeah, percent. Um, yeah. Well, it's like yeah. Oh yeah. God, and you look at like when they by the time they made those like the by the time they extended the to the top ten, like you look at like the movies that were nominated. Man, fallow, fallow years. Like yeah, extremely yeah. loud and oh. incredibly close made the top ten one year. Like ugh. Yeah, and I think ugh. yeah. I mean, another one, Thelma and Louise, Fried Green Tomatoes. I mean, the, the list goes on and on for 1991 God. having. Really like, and I mean, look at these. Bad, I mean, Sounds of Lambs, Beauty and the Beast, animated film, but Bugsy, JFK, The Prince of Tides. These are like uh, adult movies. These are adult movies. Yeah, they're and, not about capes and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I got. I feel like fucking Jack in season four of Lost when he's just like he's on the freeway, like falling apart. Like, I want to go back. Yeah. I want to go back. I want to go back to the island. I want to. They're just. I mean, <laughs> and even like you get to like the top comedies of the year. Naked Gun, two and a half, and Hot Shots. Uh, fuck yeah. <laughs> funny no. move, funny movies hot, too. <laughs> hot Shots rules. Hot I Shots is hella movie. funny. It's so uh, funny. Oh, uh, and the uh, Kevin Costner Robin Hood came out that year. I mean, like, yeah. I don't know. I, I think we might be getting the reputation as a podcast that's like, man, boy, the seventies, eighties, and nineties—they were way better. Yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe, maybe we're looking uh, at it through um, rose-colored glasses. You know. Uh, we need a last night in Soho nostalgia ain't so good kind of moment but um there I don't know it might be because I looked through this list too like 1991 I was um I was nine 
mm-hmm. when all these came out. And I think the blockbuster in my neighborhood opened right around this time. Mm. So just looking through this list, like these are all like video. And I remember these Academy Awards is like the first Academy Awards that I remember too. Right. And I remember all the advertising and like newspaper posters and stuff like that for these movies. So like I might have completely rose colored glasses of like, oh, I remember all of these movies. These were like when I really started watching movies was this year. So maybe I have some sort of nostalgia, but I don't know. I'd be pretty satisfied if all these movies came out this year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and like, you know, I'm just looking at like a list of best picture nominees. I think there was just like a really fallow period, maybe like starting like in the 2000s, like mm-hmm. that first there were, that was like very like hit or miss year, but it's not like, yeah, it's not like, um, you know, there's like good movies still released every there's, year. It's not all. There's good movies though. every year. There's yeah. no question about it, but, but uh, it's just, yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like the, the problem nowadays is like movies that get nominated for Oscars are clearly movies designed to win Oscars. Maybe that's part of it. And we've lost like just like the um, everyman film, like a, a film that like that was kind of like uh, designed for, you know, maybe like not middle America, but like, um, you know, like a uh, the midbrow thriller like that's died out. Like stuff like that has like disappeared. It could be that could become something like Silence of the Lambs that yeah. it becomes elevated and all of a sudden like, wow, this actually like works as a movie. But it's also like, man, this craft is incredible. And, you know, all these like all the elements kind of come together a little bit more. Yeah, it's like not designed to like be correct yeah i guess and it's all like the correct like we were talking about like the politics of the china syndrome and the politics of like a newer movie aren't all that different if they are we're still talking about liberal politics here but the way that liberal politics are presented Mm -hmm. as not like shoving them down your throat but like this is urgent because this story is like tense and crazy and you know i don't know yeah i I think there's not like a, they don't like they don't like uh, overly play the necessity of having these proper opinions, perhaps. I don't know. I also think it's like it's not necessarily making you as a viewer feel good about your like, oh, I watch This Is Us, so I'm a good person. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't watch China Syndrome to feel like a good person. I watch it. Yeah, I think that's why I kind of I defended Vice quite a bit a few years ago because vice wasn't trying to make you feel like a good person vice was supposed to be like this sucks yeah look look, look at we'll go ahead i mean adam mckay's you know you can pick or choose if you think adam mckay's method of presenting that it sucks and presenting that you should be angry is good or bad no but but it it should be pissed off it should be pissed off yeah Yeah, it's right you're right like it's a hundred percent like like we should be pissed off about those injustices and it shouldn't be this fucking polemic that uh, you know, uh, stiff upper browed, uh, fucking cornbread motherfuckers. Well, I mean, uh, col- <laughs> college people don't think it's very gauche to be angry, Ugh. you know. But it, but look at, well, I mean, look what's going on. You should be yeah. angry. I be don't know angry. how we got here. Yeah, we got here for defending your life. We're in hell. <laughs> we're you still hot. Angry. We're still hot from the China syndrome. Last yeah, hundred percent. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Uh, go see defending your life. Mm-hmm. Defending your life will make you feel good and maybe maybe make you feel like you should be a little more open. Yeah. And, you know, fearless. Um, on the flip side of that, though, kind of 
Ugh, yeah, turning, oh boy. turning inward. Hold on to your when, heads. When, <laughs> when, when fears and insecurity um, face you, we move on to the what? What in the world was James L. Brooks up to in the early nineties? <laughs> um, highs and lows. Highs and lows. Yeah. Um, so he's coming off of a, yet another mega triumph mm-hmm. in um, his film, Broadcast News. He, in the meantime. Also, between this time period, he produces um, <laughs> big, <laughs> massive success, uh, The War of the Roses, a big success. And he introduces Cameron Crowe to the world as a director with Say Anything. Um, wow. So uh, the hits keep on rolling as a producer. He's also um, has found some uh, comedian who really sparked his interest in Tracy Ullman. And he produces, he didn't want to return to television, but he liked Tracy Ullman so much. He produces the Tracy Ullman show for Fox, mm-hmm. uh, when she gets to do all of her characters and, you know, continue, you know, she's a brilliant yeah. comedian. It's, um, a, uh, it's like one of those landmark shows. And simultaneously he's given as a gift, a cartoon that he thought he, that he might like by his friend and colleague, Molly Platt, of course, uh, of Matt Groening's Life in Hell cartoon Ooh. that he thought she thought he would find very amusing that he could hang on the wall yeah. at his office. Uh, he was so interested in it that he reached out to Matt Groening and asked, hey, do you want to put some animated shorts, some interstitials on the Tracy Ullman show to kind of mix up the balance on the show? Oh, sure, sure. Do you want to do like a version of Life is Hell? And um, he, uh, Groening realized that animating Life in Hell would require the rescinding of publication rights for his life's work. So he chose (laughs) to create something else about a dysfunctional family that he pitched very quickly in the office. This, of course, it was in 1989. And along with Sam Simon, the three of them created The Simpsons, uh, which probably pads James L. Brooks' bank account more than any of the stuff we're going to talk about. Um, obviously, Simpsons still on today. Um, mega success. We will talk about The Simpsons a little bit further down the line when we, we're going to cover The Simpsons movie toward the end of this season. Um, but So the hits just keep coming for James L. Brooks. I mean, he's now a part of a massive cultural phenomenon 1989 so i was um seven when the simpsons came out and um it was the talk of my elementary school (laughs) when it came on the air did i have i was not allowed the i'm bart simpson who the hell are you t-shirt but i had probably a cowabunga t-shirt of some nature that That uh, first edition simpsons t-shirt damn that that rips yeah i feel like by the time I was like, oh, no, I, you know what? I was like, you know, I remember like I would sneak watching The Simpsons when I was really young. because I think my parents would watch it on occasion. And like, I, I think like the first, the first, I think it's like the, the episode where like Homer like gets like really overweight. And he's wearing the Moo Moo. I think mm-hmm. that was the first episode I saw in the first time uh, in my memory that I heard like ass the word ass in a television program Ooh. and just being like, Whoa, Oh no, 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 Whoa, no, 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 oh. you can't, 
can't see that on television. I can't say, mom's gonna ground you, dude. Oh damn! I can't believe this is dangerous. This is dangerous stuff. Ah, yes. Yeah. So just a massive success, but you know, like he said, his heart was in. His heart was in the movie business. Yep. And so he was, but he was also like, "Geez, I'm at the top of the world. What do I do next?" And <laughs> a little paralyzed. And that comes very, very clear in his 1994 film, I'll Do Anything. Mm-hmm. So I guess we could do the stats first, and then we could kind of turn back into what went down in the production of this movie. Written, directed, produced by James L. Brooks. Polly Platt also co-produced this one, uh, starring Nick Nolte, Albert Brooks, Julie Kavner, Julie Richardson, Tracy Ullman, and introducing Whitney Wright. <laughs> Oh yeah. Cinematography, cinematography by Michael Bauhaus, edited by Richard Marks. This is the same team that did um, broadcast news. Yeah. Music by Hans Zimmer this time around. Budgeted. Okay, released February 4th, 1994. Budgeted at 40 million. Box office 10 million. So mm-hmm. uh-oh. Yep. already uh, already uh, a red flag. Whoopsie doopsie. <laughs> every movie that does well in the box office is hey. you, you know can't our bad. man, our man, Albert Brooks, has not had his was not financially successful. So one thing we do need to note too is that um, they also production on this movie started significantly before 1994. Yeah, uh, not a good sign either. So the big thing to note with this movie, oh, and uh, we should state that it has a 61 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, just barely fresh. Fairly fresh. Yes, um, which is baffling, but we'll continue. Roger Ebert gave it three stars and called it smart, original, and subversive. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, you know what? Sure. Uh, okay, so... The, the big thing to note with this movie, so basic storyline, Nick Nolte plays Matt Hobbs, a mm-hmm. struggling supporting actor type yeah. trying to make it in the big game of in Tinseltown yeah. and surrounded by all sorts of Hollywood types. His brother is Lloyd Christmas. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. He's great. Yeah, his roommate is Lloyd Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> one of the great movie names. Oh, he, well, one of... Uh, you write that down if you're the Farrelly Brothers and you're like, man, sell it. This movie's sold. Yeah. Lloyd oh. Christmas. What a great name. What a great name. Uh, uh, up there with Burke Adler. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of the ins and outs of this guy and his career. And uh, kind of the big thing that happens is he also ends up being a um, single father. Mm-hmm. A, oh, one of the brave single. Hey, oh. this actually kind of comes back to a little bit of uh, Academy Academy lore. Yeah. With, I, I texted you. I said this would pair well with uh, author offer for a truly cursed double feature. Yeah, yeah if you want your head to explode like in the, scanners. The day the new Beverly lets us do a double feature and we program author offer, I'll do anything. We will be banned from programming again and banned from entering the new Beverly again. Yeah, <laughs> and probably banned from LA. Like they yeah. would, <laughs> it'd be like, like Frankenstein. We'd be. You, you guys hit your taste in movie. This is a challenge. Like, boy, if you thought like a double feature of a couple of like this, we just had the spooky season. Some of these horror movies, like, 
couple true horror movies and author author and yeah movies. oh man yeah but Although, um yeah another another movie that's a tribute to what it means to be a great single dad <laughs> yeah it's another another entry in the sad dad uh universe yeah yeah he's not yeah oh, geez, I, it really our, is we should have like our um, own mcu but it's like all the sad dads banding oh, together oh, to raise yeah their kids. and like the 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 terribly written shrill women around them. <laughs> they're the, all the bad guys. They're the, they're the, the doctor the true, octopuses. The, and... the, true, the true bad guys. Your ex-wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have to... They're a secret organization, secret society bent on saving the world yeah. from Shrill-esque wives. And people are like, man, Hollywood, like... <laughs> All the people who are like defending it's like no they've written multi-dimensional women it's like nah. <laughs> i don't know they're they're, they're guilty yeah, <laughs> they're the, guilty the, the nick fury of this world is burt reynolds from starting over with an eye patch yeah. yeah i know it's like i'm assembling a team yeah. we're gonna get, gonna get al pacino we're gonna get uh, ted kramer we're gonna get the gang the yeah, gang we're the gang. yeah we're getting kramer we're getting <laughs> uh, mr author author we're getting... and we're getting matt hobbs on the yeah, team matt too hobbs, yeah yeah. and um so the, but the big thing to know so he's navigating being a single dad trying to deal with his boy the fine line between precocious and cute and utterly psychotic and annoying for yeah. little kids in these movies is is a fine line <laughs> yeah oh man it is a what a tightrope one must uh, cross <laughs> yeah and so he's navigating and it's like a typical like insidery kind of lame lazy yeah. Hollywood type stuff. I bet it'd surprise you to know that Hollywood's run by a bunch of damn kooks. Uh, kooks who are like, boy, they're successful, but are they insecure? Do they have their personal lives together? Hell no. Hell no. No. Oddballs and misfits? What the hell? It's like, boy, I, I, I am... Boy, my career is full and varied, but my heart is empty. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> if only I could find a girlfriend. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Gonna cry into my uh, the, uh, my leather interior BMW. Yeah, I've got the, the best. I've got the best BMW, but the loneliest personal life. Yeah. So, you think that sounds like boy? This doesn't sound particularly interesting. <laughs> what it? What if I told you it was a musical incorporating songs by Prince, Carol King, and Sinead O'Connor? <laughs> would that would, would that drive your ass to the theater? Yeah. Well, they thought so. They made a full-scale musical with that cast that I just listed out, including Nick Nolte, yeah. Albert Brooks, Julie Kavner, who voices Bart Simpson. Oh, Marge Simpson. Oh, Bart. I thought it was... No, I don't know. No, that's Nancy Cartwright. Okay, yeah, but... He's reg- our homie. Regardless. Yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, Nick Nolte, he sounds like a male Marge Simpson. Yeah. Like, he is like Marge Simpson's... They should have got him on to play Marge Simpson's father, because it's the same gravelly. So the pitch is a navel gazely movie that only appeals to people who work within the world of Hollywood. That is also a full scale musical mm-hmm. with pop songs sung by no one Ooh. with any level of musical training whatsoever. Oh and so, yeah, this, this, and by the way, this is like a cut. Now you tell the story, continue. Don. So they make this movie full-scale musical there yeah. is a st- karina longworth on her podcast which is better than ours we've mentioned that many yeah. times before she's, she's, good at this. Yeah. <laughs> she's much better at podcasting than patrick and i yeah. Smarter, um, more successful etc cetera, etc cetera. they gave the vibe sunset we'll put it that way we're not good about any of these like i mean 
talented people asking them to do full and twyla thorp the famed choreographer was doing the dance numbers for this one apparently prince showed up one day to set saw julie kavner singing one of his songs and you know prince did not react it wasn't that he reacted in an angry or a uh oh he just reacted in a oh boy and he left he just yeah. took off yeah <laughs> totally fair totally fair that this i might want to distance myself from this movie yeah <laughs> and it's interesting that this movie is all about like one of the big storylines is test screenings and like the kind of fear and how did it go mm. so this movie had famously one of the worst test screenings of all time mm. like colleagues were brought in james l brooks is of course writing it he's a genius according to the world of Hollywood, total genius. And everyone's watching this movie being like, oh no, because we have a musical with people who cannot sing or dance Mm -hmm. that is also dramatically inert. And we should also mention that he wrote the script without the songs. And Uh. he's like, I will shove the songs in earlier. <laughs> and getting a look from Jen in the background, like, "Ooh, that's a bad idea." Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, <"Ooh." laughs> like, oh no! And they're spending a ton of money. And at this point, he's also pretty notorious for being indecisive, right? And a little boy, he's defending his life. A lot of clips from uh, In Judgment City <sighs> are going to be played from the making of All Do Anything, I think. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, this could, this, you know, this might warrant the cow. This might, nah, that's too harsh, but it's it's tough. He, um, he'll, he'll be on the cow. I think, I think James O. Brooks is being sent back to, uh, <laughs> yeah. sent back to the world of Earth. Yeah, as some, maybe as a spoon, maybe yeah. as a support, <laughs> maybe as a supporting actor like Matt Hobbs. Um, it's so it was an utter, it was a complete and utter disaster. This test screening, like shattering, to everyone involved. Um, I can only imagine. I mean, you put so much time and effort. You know, you're working yeah. at the highest level. You're spending a ton of money. You got all these talented people. You brought in like Hall of Fame songwriters, all expenses. Mm-hmm. Well, and then, like, on top of that, too, like, you uh, you swept the Academy Awards in terms of oh, endearment. Oh, you're a declared genius who's never failed. Yeah, and then broadcast <laughs> news is, like, yeah, at this point, already considered one of the, like, hollowed centerpieces of American cinema. Like, yeah. You, yeah. And uh, then you made I, The Simpsons. Uh, yeah, and yeah, and then you made The Simpsons, and yeah. you're, like, they're driving trucks of cash up to your, you know, Beverly Hills or Brentwood, wherever he he lives in one of those two. Yeah, he probably can can Scrooge McDuck with his money at this point. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. if he wanted to create a separate part of his estate that was a safe with a a swimming pool (laughs) diving board on it, he could do a Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, yeah, don't do that with real gold coins, though. That will kill you. Yeah. You cannot, you can't treat gold like liquid. Scrooge McDuck killed his first dive um yeah. but and huey dewey and louis are still fighting over the estate yeah oh they hate so each it's, other it's, it's, it's not great it just tore this family apart yeah <laughs> this family of ducks yeah this, these poor very ducks. rich duck family <laughs> rich duck family a, di- a duck dynasty as jen pointed out uh that's ah! what she, she's a real comedian we're not yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like, <laughs> that is uh come on someone has to do that that's yeah that's i mean see 
we we kind of like set up some of these spoofs and goofs but we need a real comedian to come in and give us real punch-ups to kind of give us the right jokes. yeah we need like a Patton oswalt <laughs> like we need uh, one, yeah. yeah jen and Patton oswalt can come in and rewrite for us yeah like need, better yeah, jokes <laughs> yeah we're like yeah we're we're like that, um, you know, the movie. They're like, you know, like the Ice Age or whatever. One of those movies that's like not that great that they give. I have, but like, I, yeah. I have a friend who started listening to both our show and Jen's show, and all he could ever say is, "Your show's interesting. It's like having a conversation with you." Jen's show's funny. <laughs> like, <you know>? oh. <laughs> to the heart. Yeah. Through the heart. Right to right to the heart of thing, and he's not wrong. He's not yeah, wrong. He's not <laughs> wrong. It's okay. Hey, we're mildly pleasant. That's fine. We're hey. You know, we're talking about mildly mildly pleasant guys talking about mildly pleasant movies. <laughs> we're, we're the mildly pleasant boys now. The mildly pleasant boys. No longer the sh- <laughs> if we're the shame boys, we're getting right out. We're in, when we do, when we're defending our lives, we're in big big trouble. Rip Torn yeah. will not be a good attorney for us. <laughs> oh no, yeah, it's like you guys referred to yourself willfully as the shame boys. That's not a good sign, yeah. guys. Uh, yeah, this is tough. Yeah. So, but yeah. I'll do anything to fix this movie is what James L. Brooks is saying when he gets to the editing room and he makes a dramatic and drastic decision Huge. and every song from the movie is cut and the movie is no longer a musical. Yeah. Um, does the movie work without the songs? Not really. <laughs> no. But uh, So the big news on the Academy Academy side of things, we decided to see if we could top tracking down hot tomorrows and we heard rumors because another better podcast than ours blank check got a chance to watch the all do anything musical cut so like it's out there yeah somewhere so we can tr- so leave it to my intrepid co-host to do the work and we're not i don't think we should name the video store in los no. angeles that does have it because it's not you have to ask for it. Yeah, it's it is like very. <laughs> this is like a bootleg, and it's, it's a, very. Yeah, not legal in in the in any realm. No. Uh, but thank you for them having it. Um, it's very cool. Like that is like my one thing I will say is like it is cool in this day and age where everything is so like easily accessible on the internet to like yeah. actually have to like could... go to like a place and act like you're in a speakeasy. No, yeah. hey, hey, listen, Jack, I need the musical cut if I'll do anything. Yeah. Uh, the pat the password is Fidelio. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. I was there in my uh, weird uh, Phantom of the Opera yeah. mask. I had to wear a mask to get it. It was yeah. it was it wasn't it wasn't not a pleasant experience. <laughs> but um you can there's only a handful of video stores in Los Angeles, so you could probably Yeah. If you're here and really are desperate to watch an unfinished movie. You could put it together, yeah, pretty quickly, hey, and hey, figure out which one we're talking about. You know what? But, uh, if you want to find out, email us uh, at the um, it's excellent. the Acadacad at gmail.com. Send us an email. I'll Good. tell you where it is. Good job. Good job, Patrick. Very and good. while you're there, why don't you rent a few movies? Yeah, and support a video store. Uh, so it's not finished, but it does give you a taste of what the songs would be like. Uh, it's a disaster. <laughs> Oh, it sucks. It's well, and the thing too is like it is. It's so. It's not a finished movie. It's like a uh, rough cut yeah. that was like. So it's, ne- it, we shouldn't really judge it necessarily. Yeah, but it's it's not like yeah. This isn't supposed to be. Although like 
the way it's presented it kind of does feel like I'm watching like the ring video or a snuff film, like something. It feels like I'm watching something I shouldn't be watching. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Whit- Whitney Wright is going to show up as like a scary spooky ghost yeah. child. Like Al- yeah, Albert Brooks mumble singing is going to come out of the screen mm-hmm. and clobber me. Yeah. And I think the bottom line though, when I was watching it was there was a part of me that was hoping that this non-singing scenes would be different and they would have like a different touch to them. They don't No, The story is the same and it doesn't matter if you're singing the story or if you're not. Um, yeah. This story is very, very difficult to like give two cents about. <laughs> yeah. It was, this is one of the most difficult movies. There were times where, um, especially with like the musical cut where like, I would have to rewind because I would like, I, my brain would go to my phone like I would have I would be like like you know just looking at Twitter or like you know yeah, see, I'd, I'd see like an actor in this movie and be like what's his deal and then it'd be like me reading fucking I don't know like Vicki Lewis's Wikipedia page for 20 minutes yeah it's like <laughs> I remember her from episode of Seinfeld but yeah it's yeah I think um it's it's just it's unfortunate because I think that there's like, yeah, because I watched the non-musical version and then the musical one, and I think you watched them in, the opposite, the, other way. <laughs> in the opposite order, and I don't know what's more, like, brain-deadening. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you brought up know. a really good point about, like, comparing this to Geely, another disaster that yep. we've covered, and there is, like, a psychedelic, I can't believe this is happening mm-hmm. level to Geely that keeps you watching mm-hmm. Geely. This one is just kind of a miss, yeah and that and you're right like you kind of like you're you kind of drift away it's not that it's not particularly engaging it's very it's incredibly inside baseball to the point where it's like maybe if you worked in hollywood you would care but it's not all that dramatic yeah well nick Nick nolte's a brilliant actor yeah, oh, he's great. and But he's things, miscast completely. Totally miscast, has nothing to do. Uh, you know who I was thinking of would be better in this role than him? And I just thought this just now, Bill Paxton. Yeah. That would be, like, a funnier, more... Because, like, also, like, there's, like, a weird... There should be, like, a weird, comically depressing element to Nick Nolte's character... And not that Nick Nolte can't bring that, but he's just not like Nick Nolte is like he's at he was at a point in his career where like he should have he you get him to call he he's the grizzled general or like the like he's like his well, character yeah, he's, 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 he's like the, he's in like thin red line like four yeah. three years after this or like what's uh like he did affliction with he's like yes. he, should be, he should be in like Paul Schrader movies. He is a hundred percent a Paul Schrader guy. Like this yeah. is not like yeah. He he drinks too much and writes in his journal about regrets. He's not trying to reg- raise a precocious psychopath. Yeah, he's he's not up for the same role as Raul Julia in Kiss of the Spider Woman. Fucking no. dumb. What a dumb joke. I, that joke. I, I know it's uh it's <laughs> Although here's my thing, my 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 joke note is that would become funny if he's constantly re- losing roles to Raul Julia. Like if yeah, he's like, if he, like then some... you, you got to bring in Raul Julia for a bit or something like yeah, that. Like, Although he, I think Raul Julia may have been may have passed away by ninety four. Yeah, which is that's kinda... pretty sad. Yeah, he, yeah, because he was M Bison, and oh my god, it'd be so funny. <laughs> I like... did want to bring up the Whitney Wright who they in the trailer they do say and introducing. 
Whitney oh, Wright, yeah. and she was going to be the next big star. She only did one other movie, really, which was Sudden Death with Street Fighters, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Wow. And I will see this. Sudden Death is a more enjoyable movie, mm. and I'll do anything. Man. he It's like his Die Hard, but it's in a, at a hockey game. Yeah. And you know who the bad guy is in Sudden Death? Powers Booth. Oh, Booth. A, <laughs> a.k.a. Jim Jones in so, Guiana Tragedy. This movie opens in a very, very unfortunate way where, and this is the non-musical version. The musical version opens with a, uh, like, dead to the soul song that everyone's half singing, half dancing to, and it's just like, what the Yeah, and, you, and it's so... a bummer, because, like, you don't have the, I don't think you have the proper, like, sound mixing or sound. Yeah. You can't tell if they're, like, this is, like, so supposed to be, like, some sort of stand-in type song, but it's, like, it's lifeless. And then, no, like, like yeah, the lyrics so... sink. But musicals need to, like, have some, like, you know, like, like you're you know, you're Paul Atreides. You're taking the spice. You got, yeah. like, you know, see the see some see some, and it's just like they're just kind of like strolling through it, half singing it. So instead, it opens with they're watching the Emmys, and Matt Hobbs is nominated. Nick Nolte's Matt Hobbs is nominated for Emmys, and he loses to Powers Booth for a movie that sounds very. I want to see yeah. where Powers Booth is playing. And, it's a real movie. It's a real yeah. TV movie where he plays Jim Jones. Oh, it's a real sounds, movie? It's a real movie. Oh yeah. my, yeah, we should see that. Yeah, that's, it that's, sounds good. It, it sounds, sounds better that's than... legitimately good. Yeah, I <laughs> want to see Powers Booth. As, I thought that was just like a filler joke. Yeah, that rolls. No, that's the weirdest thing is everyone else who's nominated, it, well, those are all real movies. Wow. It's it's so strange. And, it, and there's this interesting subplot that it, there was a strike going, an actor strike going on, and Powers Booth crossed the... Um, picket lines to accept the award and i'm like i'm so much more interested in that story than i yes! am this story a hundred percent that's like so, that's interesting but we're all introduced to this while nick nolte is wearing these gigantic insane baggy clothes and a wig that patrick rightfully called out is the exact same haircut jeff daniels has in dumb and dumber it's it's insane it the nick nolte no man should have hair like this and you you had to think nick nolte gets dressed like this they put the wig on him he's look he's in the makeup car he's looking at himself in the mirror and being like i gotta have a drink (laughs) yeah oh no this is hurting him yeah he looks like fucking wizard from taxi driver he's trying Yeah, he looks like one of the guys yeah. at the late night diner. Robert De Niro goes to bitch about the, the meth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, exactly. He's like, it, it's so grim, and like this is this is this is supposed to be your like lighthearted hero, and you're just like, I don't. And and Nick Nolte also looks every bit of his like fifty years old. Yeah, he's 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 lived rough a little bit, and you yeah. see it, and. And the way he's lit, it's like, oh, this is supposed to be like a light comedy. So basically, this movie kind of progresses from there. And he ends up, he, he Tracy Ullman's his shrill wife, another poorly written, just bad woman yeah. that's oh, standing yeah. in the way of like the great man who needs to be an awesome dad and a talented guy. It's, yeah, like defining it's, traits, uh, evil, crazy. It's, <laughs> it's, it totally sucks. Yeah. It, we've we've seen it so many times in the movies we've watched. <laughs> I think this is like the worst one, though. This might be my least favorite it's, bad uh, wife. I, I don't think it can top author author. Uh, for me. That's true. Mm. Although you know what, they suck in starting over too. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, Candace Bergen is at least like kind of funny, like when she does her. Although it's not super funny, I don't know. It's, it's meant to mock her. Yeah, it's meant it's to e- like show her as like delusional and like it's evil. It, oh God, it is Ugh. like these are all bad. These are all oh God, sad dads. All these sad dads. Oh. Like great dads too. Great, dad. yeah, perfect flood. God, flood but like, perfect. I'm looking at the clock. We're deep into this episode. There's so much still to talk about. God, I gotta say though too is like he. We have to make it clear too that like Nick Nolte, even though he's given like the benefit of da- of a doubt by the movie, he sucks. He's a bad dad. He's constantly trying to unload his kid on. So people. the entire like feeling of the movie is like, it's okay to be a dad yeah. and still care about your career. That might yeah. be the message of this movie. God, and like you, uh, there's like a way you could probably like thread that. You know, needle that thread that needle was it? Needle I, that thread. I all I could think about when I said that was like when he's talking to. Uh, also, the poorly written careerist Kathy Breslow, played by Jolie Richardson. Uh, I'm talking about my daughter. <laughs> oh god! And he like freaks out when like uh, she's like, uh, "You're just not that good looking," or whatever. Like, oh, oh yeah. So much like in broadcast news, like the big moralistic moment of this movie is not when Tom Groening takes a second camera to watch himself tearing up. The the moral failing in this film is that Julie Richardson admits Nick Nolte, not fuckable. Yeah, <laughs> this, guy's, this guy is not entirely a snack. Sorry, And he like freaks the fuck out. Can you believe he, like one of the big dramatic like climactic moments of this movie is Albert Brooks going around the room asking every woman in the room if they would fuck Nick Nolte? Uh, that is ins- like this yeah. is not good. No, his character <laughs> sucks. His- saying that, saying that sentence out loud made me feel chills. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I feel poisoned a little bit. I think, God, the more we talk about it, the more I like this movie this is, less yeah, than Geely. I don't, Geely. Yeah, I don't think. At least, yeah. at least Geely is like Geely's evil and grim, but Geely's crazy. Yeah, there's like crazy. Like there's there's enough insanity in that movie where like. I can like, I, ironically, the insanity is something I can hold on to. This and you know what? Is there's just... no light in the end of the tunnel like Chris Walken delivering the Marie Callender's lines. <laughs> oh, there is. That is so. There's no like funny yeah. moment. There's no bright spot in this film. It's well, it's all... also this movie's not weird. No, weird in a strange way. It's not weird, and it should be weird. If yeah. it's gonna be bad, it better be weird. And there's like there's like bad choices, but they're not like weird enough to be like interesting. Like you have you have Nick Nolte in like a weird wig, but that's like not enough. There's but not... it's not played as a joke. Yeah, and it's like me... it's played that he's like a free spirit or something because he does deliver this great, mo- I think, semi great monologue. But all of it's kind of weird and overwritten. The jokes don't land. Like all like of the all like the cleverness. Mm-hmm. Of the like dialogue in broadcast news that works in broadcast news, there are the same kind of clever dialogue lines in this movie, and they just feel grating and annoying. Yeah, they all feel like uh, it feels like a first draft that everyone just okayed. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like it's like uh, they well, were... he had he had no nobody was telling him. Yeah, like otherwise he had no notes that he was taking in this yeah, movie. Yeah, he's totally in, like, George Lucas prequels, like, mode, where it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, he made this. He made broadcast news. It has to be smart. If he thinks it's good, then it must be good. And also that anyone would care about the going... Like, here's the thing. In broadcast news, the goings-on 
behind the scenes in the news affect regular people. Mm-hmm. Like if the news is not honest, if the news is like gross and entertain just pure entertainment, that affects our lives. Clearly it has. Yeah. Look at the way things are. Um, if we find out that everyone in Hollywood is a dang phony who's only in it for ourselves, we're like, yeah, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, <laughs> and if like, okay, like Albert Brooks is making entertainments that have no um, social message or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, tell me something I don't know. It's been going on forever, <laughs> you know, and it affects no one. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and it, yeah. frankly, he's probably providing like. Uh, take you know a a, a reprieve from a t- from from like boring life you know or whatever it's like yeah. his popcorn well, movie his popcorn movies you and I would probably say ruled yeah a hundred percent well and the thing too is like uh, you know Albert Brooks did like it's possible to skewer Hollywood like Albert Brooks did it with real life yeah great effect like you, you can, can or um similar time period Robert Altman's the player. Does the oh. exact same thing, much better. Oh, way better movie. Way more interesting. Because Robert Altman thinks everyone is full of shit. James yeah. L. Brooks wants to have his cake and eat it too. It, that, dude, yeah. That's yeah. fucking true. It's like, yeah, he wants, it has to be good. That's the thing. Broadcast yeah. News, they, he thought it was full of shit. He yeah. saw the, the writing on the wall in Broadcast News, and here he has fucking rose-tinted glasses. He can't yeah, see the he problem wanna... in his own house. Be- yeah. Oh, <laughs> call is coming from inside the house (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah so i mean we should mention albert brooks is playing the crass like hollywood like weinstein-esque producer yeah it's this type thing he's doing a weird voice he's trying to like be mean and yeah it's unfortunate because albert brooks is such a good actor yeah and and like yeah you can see him like he has like the moment that's clearly like in the beginning of the movie, when he's talking about how he makes movies and his, like, philosophy, yeah. like, you know, that's clearly, like, the part you would um, put for the uh, supporting actor nomination. Like, that's the real moment. And it's, like, I they think try it's and, like, the voice. Soften, they try and soften him up, too. Mm-hmm. Like, with this relationship he has with Julie Kavner. And I just think, like, if you're going to do an ensemble piece, mm-hmm. like, the focus in this movie is really strange, too. Is it about... Nick Nolte's career? Is it about Nick Nolte and Albert Brooks realizing their careers and everything? Is it about the Nick Nolte and Jolie Richardson's relationship and Albert Brooks and Julie Kavner's relationship? Or is it about Nick Nolte developing a relationship with his daughter and learning that being a father is better than going for your career? Yeah, it's, 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 it isn't, but none of it, none of it lands. None of it, none of it. And I mean, I think that if, you had just picked one of those to kind of focus on mm-hmm. you, pr- but I think like he, because he had such success with the ensemble, especially in broadcast news, creating three dynamic characters. Mm-hmm. Um, he thought he could pull it off. Yeah. All justified. It's so funny. Cause this does like share on a certain level that like same, um, uh, although it doesn't, I guess it doesn't have like the flash forward into the future, but like it has that like kind of like that opening prologue the way broadcast news does for Nick Nolte. But it does but, not have it for Albert Brooks. No, or even uh, you know Jolie Kathy. Richardson. Yeah, Kathy. Yeah. yeah, or Julie Kavner. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna do it, I think you do it for the four of them. Yeah. Frankly, 
mm-hmm. you 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 get you show all of their lives, but like, and then like the bait and switch with the Kathy character, how she's like, no, I believe in more, right? You know, but she doesn't. You know, yeah. she's like a hack herself, and it's just like, oh, she's the villain of this piece. Yeah, it's, it's weird because it's like they, weird. Well, they want you to like empathize with her too initially because she has her like she's like I believe in things. There's scripts I like and. Like well, a- I mean, then, like, that's the big joke, and I don't think it's supposed to be a joke, but it's, like, a joke, is that her, like, entire thing that she believes in is a remake of Mr. Deeds. Fucking bizarre. And not just, just the, we- the Gary Cooper Mr. Deeds, yeah. the Crank Camper one, because not- <laughs> obviously, like, ten years later... Freaking Sandler did it. Yeah, we were talking about it. you brought this up. Like this, Sandler would have been a better role, like performer in this role than uh, than Nolte. Like he would fit this perform this role yeah. better. Yeah. And I think we're gonna see that momentarily in Spanglish in a couple episodes from now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he literally gets a shot at the James L. Brooks man. I hope that movie is like secretly good. I want that to be good. I do. I, I hope it's better than I remember. Yeah, I, I saw it when it came out. And, oh no, wasn't good. Well, I always got like I remember reading reviews that like James L. Brooks was going through a divorce when he made Spanglish, and it's very oh, no. clear like Adam Sandler's wife in it is played by Tia Leone, and she was just I remember even like twenty three or whatever when this movie came out, being like, "Ooh, this is a this is a badly written female." <laughs> Oh no, this is a she's like really like caustic and shrill. And then he's got like this like um Spanish maid who cooks well, makes him like a really good sandwich, and she's a babe. And he like and it's just like, ooh, oh, this feels very like I hate my hate my ex-wife and I love my Spanish. (laughs) Oh no, not that type of James. James, baby, James. Uh, uh, allegedly from <laughs> allegedly based on my memory of seeing this movie when it oh, came out. i'm so nervous come on i want i because like yeah. that's the thing about the academy academy folks we both come in like wanting to like every movie like There's, i, I, I would, i'm not i don't want to come I, I was hoping that this one was going to be like an underrated gem yeah dude i like i, I think that for even G, like i want to go into g lee like being the person who like sees why the movie is actually like a genius, but like man, sometimes the writing's just on the wall. Do you think that we're gonna end up watching Julie for a third time just because we're gonna keep talking about it and convince ourselves? That yeah, we're right. gonna we're gonna will it into existence. Maybe we'll do uh, we'll do what uh, the fucking McElroy brothers and the people from Worst yeah. Idea of All Time do, and they watch they watch Paul Blart well, two every th- Thanksgiving. We um. <laughs> We'll see though. We can do Geely Ween. We'll watch Geely every Halloween. It's the ratings. <laughs> the ratings man is here, and if you look at our download numbers, our Geely episodes always do well. Yeah, so. They do good money. They do. Yeah. There's Albert Brooks is like grimly looking at us. Yeah, he's like defending your life. Well, we know defending your life is better, Albert, but people want to hear us suffer through Geely again. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, can I say? Um, yeah, you go first. But I, I will say, like, there the only scene in this that does reach actually there is one scene that reaches Sheely levels in this and that is the behind the scenes stuff on the sitcom and the race stuff oh that stuff is insane yeah that is beyond yeah that that is like the it reaches that sublime lunacy that Geely reaches so many times so inexplicably matt's daughter Jeannie, played by the 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 precocious whitney wright um gets hired to be on a, a different strokes type sitcom 
and the behind the scenes stuff about race the it's insane i don't even know how to how to describe it but like just kind of the it's just wild and it's very inappropriate as jen just piped in and it's like really borderline and the entire emotion it turns out the climax of this movie is whether or not the little girl can cry on camera and guess how she does it with the coaching of her dang dad and the love of her dad and the, you know i will say she like so she finally cries and she runs off she's supposed to hug her sitcom parents and she runs off camera and gives nick nolte a hug mm-hmm. i think in a right in a movie world that does that is the move to be made to pull on the heartstrings appropriately mm-hmm. like as a writer you would say, yeah, I think that that's the right move because that brings it all together. But because they laid no no groundwork for you to feel anything emotionally about that, right? <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't matter. It, it is, but it's like, yeah, she has to do this entire sitcom thing. It's a, this is a strange movie, but strange in a just kind of ugh, what happened. Yeah, and you know and you're also supposed to feel like albert brooks and julie kavner belong together she's like warming his heart but he's still like such a prick that it doesn't matter you don't you don't like him at all and it's crazy because he's played by albert brooks who you like yeah (laughs) it's funny too because like you know it's um there's one scene uh for me this is like the scene that's crazy in the movie and it's actually in the musical version, and they cut it out of the uh, the regular version. And I cannot tell whether or not I like the other version more or this version. There's like a so like there's a moment in the regular version where Albert Brooks um, he's ride he needs like a ride to like a meeting that he's late for because like yeah some like snooty uh, you know some kid who's like he's like it was like a nepotism kid basically. Is was late to pick him up. Well, it actually is a nepotism kid because it's Jake Busey, Gary yeah. Busey's son. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, and like, which is like, yeah, fun meta commentary. But uh, <laughs> I don't think it was on purpose, though. Oh, not at all. Yeah, yeah no. But uh, and it's funny because like he like also like lets like Nick Nolte like know that like actually I don't really need like a dri- I like to drive myself. I just don't like parking. Like it's we it's really feels forced. Like all of the, it is yeah oh yeah but like in the in the musical uh what happens in the musical version it's not a musical scene but albert brooks's character is just crying on the street yeah it's insane he's like he's like i'm late for this meeting i can't i can't and it's like it's so bizarre but then it but at least it like kind of gives more of a justification for why he's like late, uh, you know, why he wants to go to this meeting and why he needs someone to drive him. Yeah. It's so, it's, it's beyond weird. It's a weird. This is this, this movie, just to sum it up, I think you probably get the gist of it. A really unfortunate miss. Yeah. Just a, just a straight up miss. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they know it. They knew it. I think it hurts. I bet yeah. it, I bet it's and and James O. Brooks has said, he wants to restore it with the musical numbers, I think, to try and, I mean, like any creator, I think he wants to salvage it to his day, probably home, you know. Mm, I can fix know. this. He probably I, can fi- I, I think he has, I can fix this vibes. Um, 
I think even if they finished it, they added the musical numbers in and all that, I think it's still... Because no. it's dramatically inert. Yeah. It's just something that it he just doesn't... I mean, and, I, and I, I, I'm not big... I think that you can have unlikable characters. I think you can be... Yeah. You can be cold yeah. and still be successful. Um, and I think... I think it's very hard to care about this inside baseball Hollywoody stuff in yeah. a sincere way i think if it's a satire if it's you know kind of or dark comedy Mm -hmm. something like that i think you can like real life i think you can get into it a lot or the player i think you can get into a lot more um yeah it's it's hard to it's hard to do this when you're coming in from like a fucking newsroom ass perspective where it's like actually this is an honorable field and you sir by uh by trouncing upon the name of willem dafoe and mocking his teeth how how dare you he is a, a fine thespian like that like air kind of emanates this this film that like yeah like there is like a rarefied element to this field which i think is like it's the wrong way to go with it yeah i think like broadcast news was still living in the shadow of the brave reporters of like all the president's men and stuff like that it was still there or well even remembering like cronkite or moreau or something like yeah, that that's like, um, yeah but and then, no then, one then it, no one has ever there was no there was never any respectability no in hollywood yes, exactly <laughs> it's it's poison to the core. And if and if anyone in Hollywood acts acts morally superior, they're even worse. <laughs> like, God, you know? yeah, for real. Like you're 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 doing make believe for a living. Just be happy with it, yeah, brother. Like, I, I always go back to that Mr. Show joke. It's been a big brave year for us as actors. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> God, that is this movie. That is that should be like the, uh, <laughs> the yeah, tagline. And it, I I think like narrow it down. Nolte and the kid or Nolte and Brooks like learning how to be mature men or the the relationship stuff but yeah <laughs> like it just it's unfortunate it doesn't work um it sent Brooks yeah Jen just yelled shut it down <laughs> um, you know yeah I think um yeah just and I think that even if they I mean, I would watch it if you finished it. Sadly, I would watch it. Yeah, but, uh, I, I would out of morbid curiosity. I think yeah. the movie would be more Geely-esque if it had the musical stuff in it fully. Yep. Yeah, least... it would be a weird curio. Yeah. You know, you'd end up, you know, yeah, Geely or even something like, I don't know, cruising almost. Where it's just like, what the hell was that? Yeah, <laughs> you know? like, what were you thinking, bud? But like, yeah, uh, but it is like, um, yeah, as it stands currently, it's pretty boring, and it's not even worth like, because like Geely, I would say like if you're like you know strong of heart or whatever, and want to see something truly vile and funny, like not funny, but like just like weird, like something that where you're like, whoa, how did they make this? Uh, you can get together with the boys and have like a mystery science theater kind of night. Yeah, with Geely. Yeah, uh, not with this. Everybody nah. would just like end up in the kitchen talking yeah. to each other and not yeah. paying attention to the movie yeah, the movie Sh- sharing, Sh- sharing dips eating snacks yeah not a yeah. It's really good yeah you'd be on your phone the whole time yeah this is <laughs> yeah it's just it's it's a it's a miss it's a miss in the same vein i think starting over is a miss yeah. except um, like except like yeah on an even it's on a in a way that the, the this this is like such a bigger movie than starting over too yeah. so you kind of feel the bigger like starting just, over doesn't yeah starting over doesn't seem like as big of a risk yeah as this one yeah and i i think that both of them 
I think he falls a little into his um, sitcom-y television-y yeah. tendencies. It, the, it lacks the cinema and the stakes of uh, terms or um, broadcast news. But next week, yes, he's back in the mix next week with another massive success. Um, we're going to be talking about as good as it gets. Ooh. next week i'm excited we, uh, i revealed uh, cinematic uh, cinematic honesty here i've never seen as good as it gets Ooh. and so i'm <laughs> i'm jazzed we could talk a lot of jack nicholson next week i'm excited yeah <laughs> i will say that like uh, i've seen this movie as like a youth i feel like multiple times because it just felt like it was one of those movies that's perennially perennially on like dnt or tbs well it's, it has that v- vhs cover i always think it's like there's the two sides of the james l brooks coin there's jerry Maguire looking down and smiling or yeah. there's jack nicholson looking up to the air and smiling oh <laughs> uh, yeah what a classic yeah it is like one of the classic vhs covers there's like, a bunch of you know handsome successful white guys going man life right yeah <laughs> you know? oh la vida dolce baby yeah hey <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> yeah oh no, god yeah i'm, I'm feeling, excited fe- feeling good lewis looking good billy ray <laughs> you know, yep. i feel like it'll be i think it's gonna be I, I, liking it. I, yeah i'm excited to talk about that one and we're on the uh, albert brooks side of things we're gonna be talking about uh one of jen's favorites mother with uh, debbie reynolds and uh so i'm excited for excited for that one um as they as our as the brooks boys reach middle age in the mid 90s (laughs) oh man we're gonna have to like i wonder if we can get danzig on yeah mother mother oh yeah no yeah Yeah. my neighbor (laughs) yeah man you gotta (laughs) wouldn't that be absolutely hilarious or like we got a special guest this week to talk about Albert Brooks's film Mother. Glenn Danzig is here. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of like there was a, an episode of WTF with Mark Marin where um, he he got Kevin McDonald on as a guest, but he thought he was getting he thought he was getting the kids in the hall. Kevin McDonald. He ended up getting the fucking guy who directed The Last King of Scotsman, Scotland, and the whole the whole podcast was like. Just him awkwardly being like, "Hey, last king of Scotland." That's awesome. That's awesome. That he aired it. That's awesome. I know he got a lot of crap the other day. He had one of the guys from Cobra Kai on, and he goes, "Yeah, I never saw it." <laughs> like, that rules. Hell yes. yeah, he rocks. He rocks. I like. I like. I like him too. He's good. I like He's him good. too. Yeah, we we give we get we have fun with him, but yeah. uh, we love him. We but, love him. So yeah, next week, mother, as good as it gets, we are. Digging deeper into the 1990s with the Brooks Boys. Mm. Uh, summing up this week, Defending Your Life, Masterpiece, I'll Do Anything. A movie that came out in 1994. <laughs> Ooh, yep, it's a film. It's a film. It's it's a movie. Uh, everyone survived and yeah, continued. Everyone, had, yeah. continued success. So. Yeah, well, I guess Except like, for maybe Whitney Wright. Yeah, yeah maybe not her yet. But you know what? Maybe she does. I hope it. Yeah. She maybe, maybe she's having a terrific terrific life doing other things and yeah you know maybe she learned that i'll do anything to get the hell out of hollywood <laughs> you know? for real <laughs> yeah so i mean not even probably not worth it as a curio but if you haven't seen defending your life check it out that's ne- good yeah do that next one. week we got uh mother we got as good as it gets uh as we head into our you know the mid-range tail end of brooks brooks a very fun series awesome all right see y'all next week uh, mildly pleasant boys signing out. Adios. Be anything, and can be out.
Oh, pow! Look out. I shit my pants.